All right, well, welcome, uh, church family. It's good to be with you again another week and launching uh, our second week in the series, Renew, a deep dive in the book of 2 Corinthians, which is a book that, as I've been studying it, I just feel like gets overlooked. Like, I don't feel like I've read it near as much as so many of the other epistles. And it's a book that's, that's rich and speaks to our life in so many different ways. And as I was reading the book, one thing that kind of stood out to me is just this romantic view sometimes we have with the early church. I mean, you've probably heard conversations like this where we say, man, if, if we could just be like the early church, if we could just be like the church in Acts, then everything would be good and we'd be all in harmony. And that was like the perfect model that we somehow have to get back to. And it's just looking at this, just I don't think that's a very biblical view. In fact, I think the early church was kind of like our church, a little bit jacked up. It had all sorts of issues and struggles and there was like leadership challenges and there was uh, like racism and prejudice that had worked its way into the church and there was these theological differences and these sin issues and people just trying to figure out how to live out their newfound Christian faith and it, it got really messy. And God in his perfect plan left the messiness in for us. He kept the drama right there for us. And, and the book of 2 Corinthians has so much of that. There's so much of that story, the kind of the, the warts and all version of the early church. And I think God left that in there for us so that we could see what it looks like to work through those challenges, to work through those issues that we are going to have with each other, that we are going to have in the church and in our families and in relationships with, that we have with each other and find healing and restoration and wholeness in the midst of that struggle. And the passage we're going to look at today is a a great example of that. Here, Paul um, has written the book of 1 Corinthians, and he's pointed out a bunch of issues that are going on in the church of Corinth. And the church responds kind of nasty. They don't like what Paul says, and, and they're hurt, and they're angry, and they respond in a really hurtful way and they attack Paul. And, and so here in this, this passage, Paul is trying to kind of fend off that attack that he's feeling at the same time, point them and point us to what it looks like to follow Jesus, even in the midst of really hard times. And so I want to just give you this little phrase, and I'm going to be using this kind of throughout the message. It's a little bit of a tongue twister. So I'll say it a couple of times so you can track with me. And that's this, that Hurt people hurt people, but God is healing hurt people, and healed people can bring joy to each other. All right, I'm going to say it again. I know it's a, it's a tongue twister and it's super long, but it's this, that hurt people hurt people. We all know that to be true, don't we? We've all been hurt by hurt people. So hurt people hurt people, but our God is a healing God, and our God heals hurt people. And when those healed people get into relationship with each other, we can bring joy and healing to each other's lives. So hurt people hurt people, but God heals hurt people and healed people can bring joy to each other's lives. So let's um, go ahead and we're going to read the passage together. If you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to start in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 12. But I'm going to do something a little bit different. We're going to actually go ahead and read the passage this morning in the NLT version. Normally we read uh, the scripture out of the, in, or the ESV version, which is a really good version. It's really accurate. Uh, to the original language. 
Um, but one of the challenges with the ESV version is it really tries to translate pretty much word for word. And some of Paul's argument here in this passage we're about to read is really complex. And he's using sort of this ancient, um, you know, kind of Greek argument. And it's really hard to, to kind of capture the fullness of his argument in modern English using the ESV translation. So we're going to jump into the NLT, which is a bit more of a phrase by phrase translation. I think it'll just help us read it and kind of capture the big themes a little bit better this morning. So if you're reading something different in your Bible, that's cool. Uh, it's, it's getting at the same thing. All right. So here's what it says, starting in verse 12. It says, we can say with confidence and with a clear conscience that we have lived with a God-given holiness and sincerity in all of our dealings. We have depended on God's grace, not on our own human wisdom. And that is how we've conducted ourselves before the world and especially towards you. Our letters have been straightforward and there's nothing written between the lines, nothing you can't understand. I hope that someday you will fully understand us, even if you don't understand us now. Then on that day when Lord Jesus returns, you will be proud of us in the same way we are proud of you. Okay, let's remember just a little bit of where we are in the kind of historical context here. So Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, a church that he started. Uh, Corinth is this large pretty wealthy metropolitan port city, kind of right in the middle of the Roman Empire. In fact, they are the crossroads between Asia and Europe. And so all kind of goods are sort of flowing through this port. And as a result, it's a very uh, diverse town. You could walk through the streets and probably see people worshiping gods of all different lands. You've got Roman gods and Greek gods and Hebrew gods and, and Egyptian gods. It's all kind of happening there. And uh, central to their religious kind of system in this town was the, the cult of Epaphrodites. And part of that religious system was um, these temple prostitutes. And so these sailors coming in and out of the ports were, uh, you know, uh, were seeing these prostitutes. So it's a, a very worldly city, a very corrupt and sinful city. And so this early church has got a lot of stuff to unpack, a lot of aspects of their, their culture that they've got to kind of deal with. In the same way that all of us, when we became followers of Jesus, we have to, to kind of unpack the culture which we came from and the pieces of it that are sinful and are good and, and sort of figure that all out. And so as this early church is forming, there's some pretty big issues that are happening. So in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul writes to the church to address these issues. Um, apparently, you know, there are are some different stuff happening, right? There's Christians who are suing each other in public court, and they're really sort of defaming the name of the church. Uh, you've got sort of the rich upper-class Christians. They're having these church potlucks, and, and the rich Christians, they can set their own schedule. They're not quite as tied to a, a work day. So they show up early to these parties, and they get there, and they eat all the food, and they drink all the wine. And by the time the working-class folks get off work and get over to the party, all the food's gone, and the rich folks are drunk and there's all this just injustice that's happening. On top of that, there's some sort of sexual sins that Paul is addressing that he says are shameful even for the, the Corinthian people who are really lax on their sexual ethics. Even they looked at the church and thought what they were doing was shameful. And so Paul, he, he writes them this letter. And as you can imagine, that's a hard letter to get, wouldn't it be? I mean, we all struggle when people call us out on something, when people kind of point at, at flaws or 
errors in our life are, our natural reaction is to respond hurt. You know, hurt people, hurt people. And, and that's exactly what happens is they're, they're sort of waiting to hear again from Paul. They, they kind of get together and some of the more, um, you know, kind of the leaders in the church, they really attack Paul in this offensive, defensive manner. And it, it gets kind of ugly. So just as we're kind of thinking about this, maybe you can drop this in the chats or maybe kind of look at the person you're sitting next to or whatever and, and answer this question for me. When you are feeling hurt by others, what is your offensive defense mechanism? Okay, so what's your offensive defense mechanism? So if you feel attacked, if you feel pushed, if you feel defensive, how do you in turn kind of try to hurt other people sometimes? I know that happens, right? It happens in your personal lives. It probably happens in your relationships. It, it probably happens in church relationships. I imagine you can think, if you've been a part of church very long, you can think of a time where, where somebody uh, said something to you in the context of a ministry or something you were serving in, and, and you just responded in a way that wasn't productive, that wasn't kind, it wasn't being a peacemaker. So what is it? You know, just drop that in the chats. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you for being honest and vulnerable. I know that's a kind of a tough question, but let's be real. We all have our offensive defense mechanisms. All right, so let's let's jump into this. How can we learn from kind of this conflict and and really what Paul is pointing us to in the midst of this conflict? So going back to that phrase that we said earlier, hurt people hurt people. Okay, we know that to be true, but here's kind of the point under that. So hurt people hurt people, but God gives us grace even when other people don't. So live for the grace of God. Okay, let me say that again. That God gives us grace even when hurt people aren't willing to give us grace, when they're not willing to forgive us, when they're not willing to accept us, when they're not willing to love us, God will. And so lean in to God's grace. Check out what Paul is saying here. I know it's a, it's a complicated argument that Paul makes, but Paul kind of starts with this brag a little bit. He says, hey, you know me. I've come at you with complete sincerity. I've got a clear conscience. Uh, what I've said, I've done. But then he turns it and he says, and I've lived according to God's holiness under the grace of God, not by human wisdom. So this is kind of a, a, a little bit of a, a weird argument. It almost seems a little bit like a cop-out, but I think what he's saying here is really honest and good. He's pointing people to a theological truth. That's one of the things I, I love about Paul is, is he's saying, hey, you might not approve of me. You not, might not think my actions are sincere. You might not think I'm being holy enough. And you know what? I'm living according to God's holiness under his grace. So if my human wisdom, if the way I'm responding to you isn't good enough, I understand that because I never claimed my interaction with you was good enough what matters most to me is that I have the approval of God that in front of him, I'm being sincere and he is accepting me. He is loving me. In fact, he has given me his holiness. And let's just think about this in a practical way. When we are feeling attacked by people, when we long for people's validation, and we all long for that, that's part of human nature, that from the time we were born, we look at our parents and we want their approval. We want them to say, good job, little Nate, good job, little whatever your name is. And we carry that with us throughout our life, and we want people to approve of us, to accept us, to love us. And so often in life, we don't get that in the way that we want to get it. 
People let us down. They hurt us. People we care about are hurt people. And so they, they in turn, can hurt us back. And yet, what I'm seeing here in Paul's example is he's saying this. He's saying, don't you guys know that God is calling me holy, that God has given me grace. And so I'm living for that, not by my own human wisdom. How much better would our lives be if we quit working for people's approval of us and started being focused on God's approval of us, knowing that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet imperfect, while we were still broken, while we were still jacked up, while we still did hurtful and mean and evil things to God, that God loved us and God accepts us and God takes our sincerity as broken as it might be and says, I love you, come to me, I receive you. I was reminded of uh, a situation we had a couple of years ago with my oldest daughter, and I got her permission to tell this story. Uh, so this is kind of the redacted version that she agreed that I could tell you. But um, our oldest daughter, my wife and I, we got in a little bit of a conflict. And part of the conflict was uh, her consequence was that she needed to, to uh, she was banished to the backyard for until she was ready to come back into the house and, and sort of abide by the house rules and, and be grateful for what she was receiving in the house. I know it's terrible as I say it out loud, but go with me. You, if you're parents, you've done jacked up stuff too. So anyway, our daughter's banished to the backyard and in love. My wife and I are like peeking out the curtains. We're watching our daughter out there. And pretty soon, after a little while, we see her going over to this like lemon tree that hangs over the fence. And she starts pulling lemons off the tree. And then she walks back around the side of the house and she knocks on the door. And she, she presents these stolen lemons from our neighbor's tree to us. And she says, hey, I got this for dinner to go with our dinner. Can I come back in the house? And my wife and I, we love our daughter dearly. And we saw this token of her repentance and, and uh, her wanting to contribute back to the family. And we were just overjoyed with that. We gave her full grace. Now, clearly, she wasn't going to pay her room and board with some old lemons, right? That, that was never going to pay her way into our house. But we weren't asking for that because we accepted her already. Even before uh, we banished her to the backyard, we still accepted her. And we wanted her back in relationship with us. And I just want to encourage you, because I think that's how God views us, that there are times in our lives where God allows us to be punished and to be banished to the backyard, so to speak. And when we are ready to come back to him with whatever offering we have, whatever lemons we, we gather to present back to him, he takes us in with open arms and says, I accept you, I love you, I forgive you, I give you my grace. And so as we walk through life and we're in a time that's really tumultuous, it's really hard, there's not a lot of grace that people are giving to each other. Remember this, even if you're not getting the grace that you want and desire in your relationships, know this, that God is giving you grace, that God loves you and accepts you and receives you. And with that, if we are to receive that, right, um, from God, then there's also this call in our lives to, to give that out. So hurt people, hurt people. But we as Christians, we have the healing God who is forgiving us and accepting us. And as a result, we can turn that sort of grace out in our conflict with other people. And I see Paul doing that in this passage. Check out what, what Paul says. Here he's, he's hurt by these leaders. Clearly, these leaders are, it seems like they're at fault here. They've wronged Paul in a, in a pretty bad way. And yet Paul goes, 
man, I, I, I hope that someday we can come back together again. I hope that, that someday, even if it's not until Jesus comes back, even if we have to wait all the way till heaven, I hope that someday you will see me with love and affection and you will receive me in the same way that I receive you and I'm proud of you. How grace-filled is that? How awesome is that? Now, again, our natural reaction is when we feel hurt by people, the last thing we want to do is offer grace back to them, right? Like, you know, you can imagine in your relationships, maybe, uh, you know, maybe it's with your spouse or with a roommate. Let's just say a roommate. That sounds a little nicer. I'll keep my my uh, spouse from thinking I'm calling her out because I'm not. But let's just imagine um, I come home and my roommate is is parked in our driveway and they're they're sort of parked over the line. And so I've got to like barely get into the driveway and I'm all frustrated about that. So I passive aggressively send a nasty text to them. Hey, next time you park, park straight. I can't hardly get into our driveway. Then our roommate responds back. Oh, what are you talking about? And they send me a picture of like my toothbrush on the bathroom counter. And they're like, you're so disgusting. You don't even clean up after yourself. So I march into the kitchen. And I fling open the refrigerator and I find the gallon of milk that's just got a couple of drops in the bottom. And I text him a picture of that with a big frowny face and go, yeah, well, this, that, right? Have we ever had that conversation? Have we ever responded in that way? Well, what a great reminder this is that, that we can break that cycle. Because God has broken that cycle with us, that because God has given us grace, that we can freely offer grace to each other in our relationships with each other. Now, let's, let's keep going in this passage a little bit, because there's a lot more I want us to unpack, and I want us to look at um, the next piece of this, this passage. So, again, like I said, Paul writes the, the letter of, second, or of 1 Corinthians to the Corinthian church. And, um, you know, communication is, is not great. So there's kind of, there's some communication going on back and forth. Paul tells him, hey, I want to come and visit you. And he's got this plan. He's going to come visit the church. And then his plan was he was going to visit Corinth, which is at like the bottom of Greece. And then he was going to do a trip up through northern Greece, which was called Macedonia. Then he was going to come back and visit them again on his way back to Jerusalem. He's going to collect some kind of tithes and offerings to take back to the widows in Jerusalem. So this is the plan. And I think probably Paul was thinking that this was going to be a really great trip. Uh, he had written this really hard letter to the Corinthian church, and they were going to receive this letter, and they were going to make changes, and they were going to realize how much better life was living in good and pure relationship with God according to the plan that God had for him. I, I, I'm guessing that's what he was thinking, because when he shows up in Corinth, we don't know exactly what happens, but it seems like that trip didn't go as he was hoping. It seems like it was a really hard trip filled with pain and weeping and, and these feelings of, of judgment and, and criticism and, and all these things were going on. And so instead of finishing his trip up through Macedonia, it looks like what Paul did was he actually went over to Ephesus, which was kind of his home base across the Adriatic Sea over in kind of what's modern day Turkey. And he gets to Ephesus and he's just broken and he writes this letter to the Corinthian church. And it's a letter that seems to be filled with pain and sorrow. We don't know what this letter is. We haven't, it wasn't preserved in history. But he writes this letter. Maybe that's for the best. Maybe we don't want to see what he wrote. And, and he, he sends it over. And I think he's hoping to get response right away. And there's a delay. For whatever reason, he doesn't hear what's going on. And, and you can imagine if you just write like a really tough letter, like he basically drops this bomb off in the Corinth church and now he's waiting to find out what happens. How are they going to respond? Are they mad? Are they, are they going to change? What's going on? And doesn't hear anything. 
And he makes this trip up and he meets with Titus and Titus tells him, hey, um, you know what? Actually, there's been a change of heart. And there's still some people in the Corinthian church that are hurt. They're mad at you. They think you let them down. And, and actually, they thought you were going to come back and visit them again. And they're waiting for you to come back and you're not showing up. And, and they're making all sorts of assumptions about your character and your leadership and your apostleship because you're not showing up. Um, and so Paul then writes the book of 2 Corinthians to address some of those issues as well as a lot that we're going to unpack throughout this Renew series. So with that being said, let's go ahead and um, let's, let's go ahead and keep reading here. So starting in verse 15, this is um, kind of Paul's response to that issue of why didn't you come back? Why did You said you were going to make two trips and see us twice, and you only came once. What's going on? So here's what he says in verse 15. He says, Since I was so sure of your understanding and trust, I wanted to give you a double blessing by visiting you twice. First on my way to Macedonia, and then again returning from Macedonia. Then you could send me on my way to Judea. You may be asking, why did I change my plans? Do you think I made my plans carelessly? Do you think I am like the people of the world who say yes when they really mean no? As surely as God is faithful, our word does not waver between yes and no. Okay, For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. He is the one whom Silas and Timothy and I preach to you as God's ultimate yes. He has done what he says. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with the resounding yes and through Christ. Our amen, which means yes, ascends to God in his glory. It is God who enables us along with you to stand firm in Christ. He has commissioned us. He has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our heart as the first installment that guarantees everything that he promised. Now I call God as my witness that I'm telling the truth. The reason I did not return to Corinth was to spare you a severe rebuke. And what does it mean we want to dominate you by telling you how to put your faith into practice? We want to work together with you so that you will be full of joy, for it is by your own faith that you stand firm. So I decided that I would not bring grief with another painful visit. For if I caused you grief, who will make you glad? Who will make me glad? Certainly not someone I have grieved. That is why I wrote to you as I did, so that when I do come, I won't be grieved by the very ones whom ought to give me the greatest joy. Surely you all know that my joy comes from being joyful, from your, I'm sorry, surely you all know that my joy comes from your being joyful. I wrote that letter in great anguish, with a troubled heart and many tears. I did not want to grieve you, but I wanted to let you know how much love I have for you. Wow, and there's a lot going on here. But what a a beautiful picture that that Paul is trying to paint. He's trying to, to explain to them why he did what he did. But in the midst of that, what Paul is really trying to point them to is who Jesus is and the faithfulness of Jesus in the midst of even our own change of plans. When things don't go the way we think they're going to go, when they don't go according to our plan, when we, we run into dead ends or we find out disappointment, that regardless of what's going on, the point he's making here is, hey, Jesus is faithful. 
So going back to that phrase that I said earlier in the message, that hurt people hurt people, but God is healing hurt people, and healed people can bring joy to each other. So this is the portion that God is healing hurt people. Right? That's what we see, I think, Paul saying here in this argument, ultimately, is he's saying, but don't put your faith in me coming back. Put your faith in Jesus. That's who we've been preaching. So if God is healing hurt people, I think the lesson for us is lean in to that healing from God. Allow God to be our healer. Allow the truth of who God is and what he's doing in the world to be the one that brings us joy and hope and meaning and purpose and healing in our life. So check this out, okay? Let's, let's kind of work through this. Paul starts his argument, and he goes, hey, you know my plans. Um, I told you I was going to come twice, uh, and I didn't. And now you're saying, were you even planning on that? Were you just being wishy-washy? Did you say yes, but really meant no? Um, are you a person of your word? That's kind of the criticism that's being leveled against him. Now, I think it's interesting because he asks all those questions, and then to defend himself, check out what his defense is. He goes, but you know that the Lord Jesus Christ in his, his yes is yes, and God always fulfills his promises. And we know that to be true because the Holy Spirit has been given to us as like collateral for the promise that God will ultimately reveal in our lives in eternity when we are saved and united with him. It's a beautiful theological point, but it's a really weird way to have a relationship argument with somebody else. I can't even imagine um, having this conversation like with my spouse. Could you imagine if like your spouse came to you and uh, your spouse was like, hey, um, it really bothers me how you, you drive so aggressively. And I think you just need to calm down a little bit and not drive so aggressively. And you, you respond by, you know what, honey, you're right. I, I shouldn't drive so aggressively. I, I, I don't really drive that aggressively. And I know I don't drive that aggressively because we worship the God who is the God of peace. And, and Jesus is one who is peaceful. And, and he comes into really stressful situations and brings healing and restoration. Isn't that great, honey? My wife would look at me and be like, yes, but we're talking about your driving, not about who God is. But Paul is a theologian, not a relationship coach. And I think actually the, the beauty of what Paul is saying here is he's saying, our hope is not in me. Um, our hope is in God. And I hope you see that, that God is our healer, that God has come into our life to bring restoration. And so right now I see that you're hurt. I, I see that, that you feel like I let you down. And I've got my reasons, and I'll get to those in a minute. But before we get to that, I want to just remind you that our message has always been the same. Our message has always been that God is perfect. That while we were yet sinners, I've said that again, while we were yet broken, God gave us His grace. He offered us promises which we know are going to come true because He left us with His Spirit in our life to bring us to this place of being made right, being made whole, being made perfect, just as he is perfect. Now, how do we get practical with that? Because hopefully a lot of us are hearing that. We're like, yes, I believe that to be true. But how does that help with my conflict with people? When I'm feeling hurt by somebody, when I read a, a nasty Facebook post and I really just want to tear into that person, I'm so angry. How, do, how does this truth help me? And here's some things I was thinking about. One, um, do I give grace to people knowing that God is at work in their life. Okay, we're talking about Christians here, okay? If somebody is a follower of Jesus, then regardless of where they are at, 
regardless of how they are doing in the process of being made into the image of Christ, being made more and more like Him, God has done that work in their life. He has promised to make them holy as He is holy. And they're not there yet. And guess what? I'm not there yet. But praise God that God doesn't wait for me to be perfect before He offers me salvation. God didn't look at me and say, okay, Nate, here's the deal. Um, after you quit being so offensive, after you quit doing these sins that really bug me, after you quit talking in this certain way, um, after you quit thinking about lustful thoughts in this certain way, then, then I will offer you my salvation. That's not what he does. What, what, what Jesus offered to me is, is while I was in the depths of my sin and rebellion, while I was at my most offensive to him, he gave me grace. He gave me his spirit. And he is working out this process in my life. And it will not be fully realized until heaven when I look and act and behave like Jesus. But right now I'm not there yet. But that's happening in my life. And that is happening in the life of the person that you're frustrated with. The person that you don't want to give grace to. But know this, that that process, if they are a follower of Jesus, that process is happening in their life, even if you can't see it. And let's be clear, just looking at my own life, that's a slow process sometimes, isn't it? But that is a promise we know to be true. And so when we are feeling tension with our brothers and sisters, when we are feeling frustrated, when we are feeling hurt, let's be reminded of that, that God is working in their life. We don't have to fix and correct and change everything about their life because the Holy Spirit is doing that. Now, that doesn't mean we don't address sin issues. That doesn't mean we don't have card conversations and we, we don't come to resolutions on disagreement. Paul just wrote a very pointed letter in 1 Corinthians addressing some very specific issues that he desired to see changed in the church of Corinth. So this isn't Paul being wishy-washy. This isn't Paul trying to say that none of this matters because we believe in a perfect God, so just focus on God and your relationships don't matter. No, he's, he's not saying that. But also, I don't think Paul is waiting for the Corinthian church to be perfect before he joins back into relationship with them. He's not waiting for them to have it all figured out before he's willing to offer them grace, and he's asking them to do the same for him. He's saying, give me grace because God has given me grace. This is the message we preach to you. This is the gospel, and we get to live it out with each other as we are waiting for the fulfillment of it in our own life. So give grace to me, and I will give grace to you. Now, church, I think this is something our world needs so desperately right now. We are in cancel culture. We are so quick to label somebody as different than ourselves and just cut them out of our lives. Well, I can't hang out with that person because they're just a, you know, this or that, or they're, they believe this, or they do that, or ah, they're done, I'm dead to me. No, that's not the Christian church. In fact, how beautiful is it that God has brought us together of such diverse backgrounds, such different belief systems, such different political ideologies and understandings and perspectives of the world. And yet what unites us, what brings us together is the grace of God, the fact that the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that lives in me lives in you. And even though we might believe different on 99% of the things that are happening in the world, what brings us together is Jesus. So give each other grace. Give each other love. Lean into the grace that God has given us and offer it freely to each other. And the beauty of that, and we see it kind of at the end of this passage, 
And again, it goes, so hurt people, hurt people, but God is healing hurt people and healed people can bring joy to each other's lives. And that's what we see over and over the last five verses of the section we just read. The word joy is used repetitively. He says, hey, you know why I changed my plans? I changed my plans because I want the opportunity to be in relationship with you in a way that brings joy to your life and brings joy to my life. So if healed people can bring joy to each other's lives, then we as healed people, and we, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have been healed by the power of Jesus. Look for opportunities to bring joy to each other's lives. Look for opportunities to come together with people that you might have differences with, that you might struggle with, that might rub you the wrong way, and look for ways to bring joy to their life. And in that, as Paul was saying, when I find joy from you, you find joy from me. And it's this beautiful reciprocal thing that we get to be a part of as the body of Christ. How cool is that? How beautiful is it that we come together, that we are loved, that we are supported? Now, it's interesting to me as I was thinking about this because Paul, in, in that day, Paul would have been kind of the spiritual father of this Corinth church. And it was a very uh, patriarchal society. He would have been sort of this leader. He would have had all sorts of spiritual authority. And he would have probably been in his right to go back to the Corinthian church and kick out all these people who were rebelling against him, who were saying negative things about him, who were hurting him, who were tearing him down. And he would have been justified in doing that. But instead of doing that, he was more concerned with their relationship. He was more concerned with their unity. He was more concerned with them experiencing the love he had for them than to be proved right, to be viewed as the winner of an argument. Now, I'm a competitive dude. And I know some of you are. Maybe I've played sports with you, or we've played cards together, or we've, we've hung out together. And I know you can get competitive too. And I know one thing all of us like is we all like to be the one who's right, the one who's justified, the one who comes out on the right side of history. But maybe for us as Christians, maybe for us as the local church, what is more important than being the one who's right, than being the one who wins an argument, and being the one who looks good in front of other people, maybe what is more important is our relationship with each other and our joy that we can bring to each other. We get to live out the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that, that he showered us with his love, that he showered us with his grace. And because of that, this diverse church of people from all different backgrounds and understandings and beliefs and ideas, we can come together. We can sit in a room with each other. Well, not now we can't, but in the future, someday we'll be able to sit in a room with each other and experience joy together. And through your joy, I will find joy. And through my joy, you will find joy. And in that, you can experience how much I love you and I will experience how much you love me. Church, wouldn't that be beautiful? And yet, and, and yes, we know that that is beautiful because so many of us have experienced it. So I just want to kind of leave us with this. Maybe as I've been talking or as you've been reading the scriptures, you've been processing this, the Holy Spirit has been pointing to maybe some relationships in your life, some people that you've kind of canceled, that you've cut off, that you've said, no, nah, I'm done with that person. or And maybe... Maybe the word of the, the Holy Spirit to you today is have grace for that person. Forgive that person. 
choose to love that person even before they're ready to fix everything in their own life. And so I'd love us to do kind of a virtual altar call, if you will. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to have a song from the band and from Saul. And if that's what God's doing in your life, could you just do us a favor, just for the, the benefit of all of us, maybe just write a note in the comment. Don't say the person's name. That would not be very peacemaker. But maybe you could just write something in the comment like, you know, from grace, I will give grace. Or because of God's grace, I will give grace. And, and we'll know that sort of as a family, as code to say, I'm going to be a person of grace this week. And maybe in a specific relationship, I'm going to, I'm going to grow in this, this ability to give grace to one another. So let, let me pray for us and close us. God, you are a God of grace. You have given us um, such love and your promises are true. You don't waver between your yes and your no. You don't change your plans. You don't back out on us. You haven't promised to give us salvation only to take it away from us, that you've given us your Holy Spirit dwelling in our life, changing us and fixing us, making us whole, healing us. God, I pray that you teach us to be people of grace with each other, especially in those relationships that are hard where we maybe just have some natural conflict, maybe there's some personality type issues where we just struggle with each other. Teach us grace. Teach us to love. Give us joy in those relationships, God. Let us say what, what Paul is saying here, that when we come together, that, that we will receive joy from their joy and they will know our love for them and we will see their love from us. Teach us to be a church that's unified. Teach us to be a church that is grace-filled and loves each other and um, seeks the best for each other. God, we love you. We praise you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.